In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. One of the most beautiful things about Lutheran theology is how thoroughly biblical it is. We never have to explain away some portions of the scripture or to twist them to mean what we want them to mean. It's really quite comforting that we can simply take the word of God at its face. Let me give you an example. In much of the Protestant world, those churches that came with us out of the Reformation, uh, among those churches there is a rejection of the teaching that baptism saves. Now that's rather interesting because we can look at a Bible verse like 1 Peter 3.21 that flat out says, baptism now saves you. And we can accept that as God's judgment on that issue. Unfortunately, those who deny the saving power of baptism have to work really, really hard to deny the saving power of baptism and make that verse say almost the opposite of how it reads in the Bible. We are heirs of a tradition that does not have to manipulate the scriptures to fit our preconceived theological notions because our theological notions all come directly from the Bible. Tonight, as we look at what the Bible says about the sacrament of the altar, what it actually is, we will see how our approach to the Bible gives us confidence in theological matters that are controversial. This allows us to boldly and lovingly confess our faith to our neighbors, and it also gives us confidence to stand before God. And so with that in mind, we recite our portion of Luther's small catechism as it's found in your bulletin. Ten gold coins to the person that finds the typo here also, which was totally my fault, Megan. What is the sacrament of the altar? It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and to drink. Where is this written? The holy evangelists Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Paul write, Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So first, what is the sacrament of the altar? It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine. Believe it or not, this position puts us at odds with most Christians that are around us here. On the one hand, this separates us from our Protestant friends. They do not believe that the bread and wine are, in fact, the body and blood of Jesus. For them, the bread and wine simply symbolize the body and blood of Jesus. But if I were to hold up the bread of the Lord's Supper after it has been consecrated 
and the cup of the wine, and I were to ask them, is this the body and blood of Jesus? They would say, no, it is not truly the body and blood of Jesus. They could not answer that question in the positive. But what does Jesus say? Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. And drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Is Jesus lying? Certainly not. But the proposition that Jesus is simply speaking metaphorically here is an implied accusation that Jesus was lying to his disciples on that night and also is lying to us. Consider the fact that the evangelists Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have a record of these words in Jesus' Lord's Supper. The timing in which Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper is within mere hours of his arrest, trial, crucifixion, and death. Maundy Thursday falls into Good Friday. What he says here is among his last words. This is, in effect, a deathbed confession. By modern legal standards, deathbed confessions are admissible in a court of law and are considered to be true since the one providing the testimony presumably has nothing to lose in telling the truth. Jesus' words here are very plain and very straightforward, for the time for teaching and parables has, in fact, come to an end. But I'd also like you to consider St. Paul's record of Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. St. Paul is addressing a problem with the way the Corinthian Christians were practicing the Lord's Supper. Some were being excluded on the basis of social standing. Others were being allowed to partake even if they didn't believe that they were receiving the actual body and blood of Jesus. And so St. Paul's remedy for this was to write out for them the words of institution as he had received them from Jesus himself. St. Paul gives us no indication that these words are metaphorical. In fact, throughout that section in 1 Corinthians 11, he refers to the bread and the cup as the body and blood of Jesus, and he goes back and forth between the two. Now, this leads us to another point that may surprise you a little bit. Our confession of what the Bible says also sets us at odds with our Roman Catholic friends. Now, while they do in fact say that Jesus' body and blood truly are present in the Lord's Supper, they do not confess that we also receive the bread and wine there too. Now, this may seem like a relatively minor point, but it is a point that the scriptures maintain nonetheless. St. Paul says, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Here, St. Paul refers to what is received in the sacrament as both the bread and the cup, and then also as the body and blood of Jesus. So this rules out 
the Roman Catholic teaching of transubstantiation, which teaches that the bread and wine are totally replaced by the body and blood of Jesus. But that teaching is not supported by the apostles' words. Now, one more issue remains for us this evening. What are we to do with this bread and wine now become the body and blood of Jesus in the Lord's Supper? Jesus says, take, eat, drink of it, all of you. Our catechism puts it like this. It is instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and to drink. We have clear instructions from Jesus on this. Eat and drink. We are not to parade it around town to be worshipped. This is an actual practice called the Corpus Christi, Latin for the body of Christ. In fact, the Lutherans who went to present our confession of faith before the Holy Roman Emperor at Augsburg in 1530 refused to march in such a parade. We are not to hold what is left to be worshipped, as it is still done in many Roman Catholic parishes. If you go on their websites, you can find times to sign up for hours of adoration. That means they go and they, they sit before the altar that has the consecrated body and blood of Jesus, and they worship it. But we ought to be careful, too, how we also treat the reliqué, that is, the theological term for what is left after the congregation, has all received the Lord's Supper. Now, I'm sure you've noticed, but as I clean up the altar after communion, I eat what remains of the bread and drink what remains in the chalice. And then after the service, those who take care of the altar are instructed to pour the individual glasses of consecrated wine into the chalice and consume it. And I also try to be on hand to help with this. But why? Why do that? Jesus says, eat it and drink it. There have been many debates about what, Christian ought, what a Christian ought to say about the remaining bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. Some have argued that once the service is over, what is left is no longer the body and blood of Jesus. There are Lutherans that hold this position. The elements are stored for another time. But is this following Jesus' pure and simple command, eat and drink? Think about it like this. Where does Jesus put an expiration date on the elements of the Lord's Supper? I can't find a place in the scriptures myself. We can, however, find an indication to the contrary. As you know, the Lord's Supper is the fulfillment of the Passover. That was specifically mentioned in our reading this evening. Now, we don't celebrate the Passover meal in the Christian church because we have been given its fulfillment. But the instructions surrounding the Passover in Exodus chapter 12 are helpful to us. God commanded Moses and the Israelites to eat the entire meal. If there was anything left, they were to burn it up. No one was to consume what was left over as a meal later on. Although I have never seen a compelling argument that would convince me that the bread and wine are no longer the body and blood of Jesus after the service, I do think that it is helpful to consider another aspect here 
And maybe even to go as far as to say, I will allow that position just for a thought exercise. If, in fact, what is left over of the consecrated bread and wine are no longer the body and blood of Jesus, we should consider that what was left or what was set aside here by Jesus himself for a holy purpose should be treated with its due reverence. The people of Israel were not to use the Ark of the Covenant or the holy vessels of the temple for secular purposes. In fact, God struck down that Babylonian king Belshazzar in the book of Daniel for doing such a thing. He brought out the cups from the temple and he had a party with them. We should not use our altar as a table for a potluck meal because it has been dedicated to the Lord for a holy purpose. Which brings me back to my original point. This is why it's best to follow the simple words of Jesus. Take, eat, drink of it, all of you. Dear friends in Christ, we ought to carefully ponder these words of Jesus as we consider best how to inform not only our beliefs, but also our practices regarding the Lord's Supper. As Jesus clearly spells out, the bread and wine truly are his body and blood. The same body that was born of the Virgin Mary, the same body that suffered under Pontius Pilate, the same body that was crucified, died, and was buried, the same body that was raised again from the dead, and the same body that now sits at God's right hand. We can believe such a great mystery because this is what Jesus tells us. Jesus is not with us in some undefined spiritual sense, but he comes to us in his true body and blood for us to eat and to drink. Now, next time, next Wednesday, we will consider why Jesus gives us his body and blood to eat and to drink. And so for now, let us pray that the Holy Spirit would teach us to hold fast to Christ's words and thus receive his body and blood for our good. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.